everybody. We are now live on Facebook. Yeah, hopefully it will find us. So the, the uh, switcher went a little sideways, but uh, we're going to do what we do. Now, hopefully this week, Tom, this week it won't be so much of a, a watch party, and maybe we'll be able to manage it uh, just like a normal. Nope, it says watch party. <sighs> so that must be Facebook's new thing, forcing the watch parties. Uh, well, I will let you start that and then invite me in, and I will... I will join and invite from there because it's, it's weird because we both had different responses last week, right? And, you know, if, if you're tuning in for the first time, we, this is how we do. We start off, we get it going, uh, we get our Facebook stuff all invited out and set up, and then we'll get into the topic of the show, which today is, as I call it, the Hero to Zero programs, where you start off in the world wanting to save the world and make a difference. And you go to school and then you go all the way from no certifications being a paramedic and you graduate knowing nothing and being unprepared that's my take on it let's get your take and and tom's take and everybody else's take and change our minds you know change my mind for sure come in and talk to us uh but we're getting all that set up if i can get my computer hey, to Charles. do something yes Anseling. i guess you just have to accept my invite charles yeah i'm getting logged in right now let me turn my volume down yeah this got twisted you got twisted Charles is fixing me. <laughs> now I'm fixed. Do you hear me now? Can oh, you yeah. hear me now? That's much better. Can everybody hear me now? And no more little campaigns running around the world. Uh, no more campaigns. There's plenty of us. All right. Um, so I can go to the live now. Yep. And, hey, Carol. And you? it says you've invited me? Yep, you're invited. Interesting. Uh, I'll have to give it a minute to catch up because I don't know how to see where I'm invited because it didn't pop up my notification on us. Invited you to watch. Okay, there it is. All right, now I'm in your watch party. Now, now you are a co-host. So, all right, well, there we go. And maybe I'll get to invite some people. Uh, but this is a hot-button topic. This is a hot-button no. topic in uh, the EMS world. Is it? Right, because uh, there, there's people who think like i do where it's it's and i've got stories to back it up and and truthfully i have met people who've gone through these programs and the program is right you have zero medical certifications uh in the ems field you're not an emt you're not advanced you're not paramedic you start off with zero professional certifications for our field and then you go on through a college usually a university uh, and it's two, three years, what it could be four, I guess. And when you finish, when all is said and done, you've not worked a day in the field, but you're a paramedic. Yep. And you have paramedic numbers. The state certifies you. You've passed your registry tests. And uh, my, yeah, mine uh, just interrupted, but it's back now. Um, so I'll, I will start with this. I will start with this while you're doing your invites is that. I feel like you need to work in the field for a hot minute before you become a paramedic. And I'll go ahead and tell you my path. And, and it's weird. You know, my path is definitely comparatively, man, I got thrown to the sharks. And I was fortunate I, I made it through. And there are many, many people who can go through these programs and come out great 
medics. I mean, as great as you can be new out of school. Everybody's new when they're out of school, no matter what. But, you know, I, I went to EMT school at Athens Tech, and they were trying a new program back in 1996. And it was a, under their continuing education program, the adult continuing education program is how they did it. And I think I spent nine months in class and three, two nights a week, something like that. And uh, it was EMTI at the time, so that's basically getting your advanced. So I did that in nine months. Well, we do uh, EMT in 18 weeks uh, here at the school, and we do advanced in five months. So that's roughly the same amount of time, right? Give or take nine months, ten months-ish to do it. Okay, come out same. Now, I went to work, and I was green, wet behind the ears. It, it, as you are out of school a lot of times, you just don't know anything. And bounced around through a few places, finally landed in a, a good EMS service that, that was willing to put time and effort into refining me, you know, giving me some experience, you're making sure, um, give me some time and energy to help me be- become the MT I could become. And I spent two years working in the field, uh, basically before I graduated paramedic. So the whole time I went to paramedic school, I'm working actively in the field as an EMT with strong paramedics who were great teachers as well. Everybody I worked with was willing to take me under their wing. And, 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 and you know, as teachers do here, Tom, right? Everybody has their own style. You know, oh, let's focus on IVs. Let's focus on cardiac. Let's, whatever their specialty is or their passion is. And for two solid years, maybe a little over two years before I got my numbers, I was working. I'm working cardiac arrests and seeing how those run. I'm working gunshot wounds and traumatic events and medical issues and all these other things. And the things that aren't taught in the book, you know, scenarios that that you can't cover every scenario in school. Now, here's the weird part. When I went to paramedic school, it was six months, three nights a week. It was stupid short. I think I did 60 clinical hours back in 1999 is when I was going to school, I believe. My wife, let's see. No, my wife and I got married in 2001. So I guess it's in 2000. So in 2000, I went to paramedic school. And it was in a state-approved class, again, through Athens Tech. This time, not in their continuing education program. It was, I think, more of a standard. No, it still was still continuing education. But I couldn't, um, I I, I could get scholarships, but I didn't get any, I didn't have to take any other prerequisites or anything else. And that was a stupid short amount of time. And I was fortunate that the whole time I'm in class, I am working with medics and who are pushing me. Not letting me jeopardize a patient. Never letting me work outside of the legal laws of what I could do. But said, okay, you know, in this cardiac arrest, right now, what would you do? And that Chuck Savage, I'm going to give him full credit. And he was one of many medics I worked with. But he was big on, he knew what he's doing. He'd been doing it for decades was a great paramedic, and he'd be intubating a patient goes, okay, what would you be considering right now while I'm intubating, if you're intubating? And, and I'm still having to do CPR. I'm doing the EMT job, right? I'm still having to do the IV and the CPR. What's the next drug? And he was pushing me under pressure, pushing my brain to think while I'm doing something else. And that helped prepare me as much as it could to be into the field as a paramedic. And I still wasn't ready for, for my first couple of calls where I was a, a, the medic with an EMT because I didn't get put with another medic. After I got my numbers, because I'd been with strong medics for the whole time and we were shorthanded. So I got put on a truck with an EMT and go is what I was told. And that's what I did. Uh, Tom, your experience 
you became an EMT out of the military, in the military? I was in the military. I didn't realize Moses had an army, but okay. <laughs> Somebody had to help him get across the the desert. But in my 23 and me, that was not in there, so. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair um, enough. I was not there. But, yes, I was in the Army, and my path was a little different because I was a hybrid. Because I know we talked earlier about, hey, you know, I really don't like the, for the most part, the Zero to Hero programs. Um, but I wasn't a Zero to Hero, but on paper it may have looked like I was because... I came out of the army as a combat medic and as a combat medic, I was, that's the equivalent of pretty much a paramedic in the, um, you know, in the army. So whenever I came out, the civilian world did not recognize me as a paramedic. I had only thing they recognized was EMT basic. Yeah. So I had to redo intermediate EMT and then I had to redo paramedic. And I went straight through from intermediate to paramedic. Uh, I had to jump through some hoops at the school I was going to, and uh, it was Bevel State Community College. Um, that was usually not allowed, but they gave me a waiver because of my military experience. So nice, you know. Good. But I had experience versus you know somebody who just went from. Hey, I want to be an EMS. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not interested in paramedic right now. I just want to be EMS. How do you be EMS? I, I don't understand how, how someone becomes EMS, and will you teach me how to be an EMS? Um, yeah, I'm actually almost finished with the video explaining what EMS actually is okay. and, and how it works. And you cannot be one. Yeah. Well, yeah. we get that, you know? And, but... We'll have somebody who, you know, thinks they know it all and they jump straight from, they want to go straight from EMT. I mean, I've had one that came through, this pro, through our program who couldn't even drive a car. Wow. Like, like actual just get to work, drive a car? But they didn't have a driver's license, didn't know it, but they how's, wanted how'd to be. You get, how, well, you get hired because you're a medic as long as you can get the bus there, I guess. No, they wasn't a medic. Uh, I guess they got their license afterwards. I don't know. They may not have a license now and don't care, to okay. be honest with you. I'm glad that person is gone. <laughs> and I hate saying that about some, but, you know, some just don't want to listen and are trouble. But they went through the program, passed our program, and it was like pulling like teeth and you know an ox through mud basically and then they left here and went to a technical school straight with no experience and then they want to whine because oh i, I wasn't prepared for paramedic no you wasn't prepared for paramedic because you have no experience yeah and i know i preach that all day long to the students you know, when they call in especially if you're you're looking at a new career and you don't know anything about what we do, which is fair, right? You'll call in and say, okay, I'm looking at becoming, you know, I want to get to the field. I'd like to work on an ambulance. And we'll talk about the state of Georgia says EMT, then advanced, uh, then paramedic. And yes, you can go from EMT to advanced. Uh, I don't usually tell, say that in the phone calls until they ask, but that is true. But if they ask me, it's like, well, what's the benefits? And I'll say, you know, I say go to advanced because it gives you the better, higher ability. There's many uh, services, which I believe Grady is one of them, that says, well, hire an EMT, but you've got X amount of time 
10, let's say 10 months. I don't know what it is, but let's say 10 months to get your advanced or you're fired. Many services do that, that run 911. Uh, so your hireability goes up. Your pay rate absolutely goes up. And it gives you the skills to then get the experience you need to go to paramedic school. Yep. And that's that's my personal advice and how I, I say that. And I agree with Chris uh, on Facebook. Chris said that uh, he believes it should, be, you, it should be a requirement to work as an EMT for a year before you can even get into medic school. Yep. You know, I believe that too. Uh, I, I know we get students, pre-med students, who come to EMT and advanced EMT school to get the skills and to get the patient care hours because it, it, it helps them move up the list to get into med school because med school has requirements, and it's not just score best on the test. Right. You know, it, it's a bunch of – I don't know what it is. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm just a ditch doctor. Do, do, do. Uh, but it's it, – it's, they have those standards. And a lot of paramedics like to call themselves ditch doctors or street doctors or field doctors. And that's not true. There's a lot – we were talking about this yesterday, Tom. To become a doctor, you have to do two years as an intern. Then once you become doctor, you have to do a residency for three mm-hmm. years after that, where you're treated as a student, even though you're a doctor. You know, there's a lot more. Now, I have met some doctors when it comes to emergency medicine who are fairly ignorant. And I was leading the call at that moment inside the ER. But for the most part, the education, for especially for emergency doctors, the education and the, the knowledge that goes into that. It should be required. Uh, it should be required to do more as a medic before you become a medic. Roy Perry, who's watching right now, he was one of those medics I rode with. God, I remember he has zero problems in in pushing me way outside my comfort zone when I was a, a student. He's like, "What? What did you learn in school?" Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Net. But I didn't want him as a safety net. I just wanted to study my schoolwork and do it in the safety of a classroom. He's like, "All right, junior, here's what you're gonna do." Bam! I'm like, uh. Uh, and then, of course, uh, yes, he was absolutely safe. He didn't throw me out to the wolves, but he made me think he was. He's like, they're dying, man. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? They're dying. I ain't going to do it for you. And he, of course, he went, again, everybody I worked with never let me do anything illegal or that jeopardized the patient. But they, they put that stress. And that, man, that was as close to getting prepared to do it on my own as I could get. Because, yeah, I learned the skills in school. I had a great teacher. Um, I used to think I knew his name correctly, but apparently I don't because I always said it was Steve Moyers, but it's not. Not that Steve Moyers is Grady. That's not who I had. I had Steve, uh, I'm pretty sure his last name started with an M, that he was one of the higher-ups in the educational department at Gwinnett Fire at the time. This is 2000, so if anybody knows who that is, I'd love to know his last name. I'd love to reconnect with him because he was a great guy. I don't know Steve Moyers at Grady. I don't know who that is. I mean, I don't know who that is, but I don't know him. I've never interacted with him. Um, but, yeah, man, I worked. I'll talk about the one medic I've personally met that had this program. I believe his name was Seth, and he was a little odd. I think just personally he was a little odd, but he came out, and, and that's the thing in the EMS, at least when I worked in EMS. It was the only time you heard about somebody's schooling is when they did one of these Hero to Zero programs. Is mm-hmm. that spread like wildfire? Is like oh, they hired a new medic. He went right through the school. He came out, you know, as a medic, did not doing anything. We knew that immediately, as opposed to somebody who worked at Newton for a couple of years, went to paramedic school, and then went somewhere else and got hired as a paramedic. You didn't hear oh, they went to Georgia Institute of EMS or any other school. 
you know, but when you did the hero to zero, you knew that. And so we'd heard that about this guy. And, but what I did appreciate about him was he did what I think any new employee should do fresh out of school or 20 year veteran. Doesn't matter to me. When you start a new place, he sat down, he shut up, he observed, he watched the company I was with, placed him with a strong medic for a while. I think he actually rode with the commander for a while. So, mm-hmm. you know, cause they didn't have FDOs specifically where I was. Um, but the biggest FDO was the commander because they'd been there for a while. Obviously, they don't typically earn their spot in that role um, and had other responsibilities and uh, still ran a truck. Right. So they were the good observers of that. And he, he rode with them for a while, got uh, some experience under his belt. You know, I wouldn't call it remedial training, but OK, here's let's let's educate you a little bit more on that style of this. And, and but right. he worked under his numbers. Uh, he actually became a decent medic. That's my one good story, and I think it was all him. I think he was a, a go-getter who – this guy would bring his own toilet paper to work in a go-bag on the truck because he, he Never says – Never know. Exactly what he says. Like, you don't know where you're going to end up, and I don't want to be at, uh, you know, the truck stop bathroom using their one-ply toilet paper. It's like, that's actually pretty smart, man. Say? I get that. But, you know, the problem is with the people who go zero to hero – is that there's some good services out there that recognize that. And there's some good, there's some services where that will work. There's some people that that will work for. It's not for everybody. If you're working for a good service and you are a zero to all the way up to paramedic and you get there and they put you with another paramedic for a while and you're working with somebody learning the ropes for for a, a period of time, like six months to a year, you're getting experience. Yeah. You've got somebody to fall back on if something happens. That's one thing. The problem is, is there's such a shortage of EMS personnel. If you're a paramedic, you could walk out of the classroom today with never working a full cardiac arrest by yourself or even being the lead hardly yeah. on a cardiac arrest. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're on the side of the road or in somebody's house and everybody's looking to you for the answer. And this is a problem that I'd like to pose to the community because I know myself and I try to think about things like, what is it that immunizes me against these things? Because I've seen some crap, Charles, in my career. I have. Yeah. I've been a combat medic. I've been a SWAT medic. I've worked in the ER. I've flown on a helicopter. I've seen some crap. But you know what? I don't. I, I'm mentally, I'm fine. I don't, you know, well, maybe, you know. You're not waking the, up screaming in the middle of the night. Yeah, man. I'm not waking up screaming. Yeah. I'm not having triggers. I don't, you know, or anything like that. But I feel like that because I was prepared, you know, I had experience going into it. So whenever I did run into those encounters that were pretty horrific, I was prepared to handle it. And now what will happen is if you do not have the experience and you don't have the train, or you, you, you may have had the train, but you haven't had the go. You have not been, you haven't interacted with that to the point where you are comfortable being around it. Yeah. Now it bothers you. And it ends up ruining your career, your relationships, and stuff because it eats at you. And that's just a theory I have on it. I could be wrong. I'd like to look at it. I think we need to do a study and see what well, is the, for, you know, people going from zero all the way to paramedic. What is their longevity? How long are they staying in the field? How many problems are they having versus 
you know, people who have had experience. You never know. I could be totally wrong. And the thing is, if I'm wrong, I'll admit to it. Um, and Charles Phillips here. Yeah, go I don't ahead. know. Can you, can you bring that up? On, he's in, no, not on the it? screen. It doesn't come up on the screen, but uh, I see it in the watch So Charles party. says, when I went to paramedic school, it was a requirement to work for a 911 service for two years. Yes. Yes. That was a requirement at DeKalb Tech at the time. Plus, I worked with a lot of old Vietnam medics that were tough on me, which I was tough on a lot myself. Yep. And you know what? I can say this, that Charles Phillips is one of those medics I looked up to early in my career that I knew, that I learned a lot from. And if he learned a lot from before him. And Charles has probably agreed that that two years prepped him for the field. Yeah, I, I imagine so. Uh, you know... Uh, Sometimes everything needs to be a lesson. Uh, one of the big statements that that came uh, to me from the, some of the medics I worked with is is they had a really they didn't have a disdain for people who had longevity in the field. They were supervisors and pretty much everywhere they worked because they earned the spots. That's who they were. Uh, but they they had this. What are you going to show me? What can you do? And and somebody would come to him like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years because they were new hire or just not supervisor. And he's right. their supervisor going, no, this is the way I want you to do it. I'm sure you've had similar stories. And oh, I've been doing it this way for 10 years. Okay. Or I, I've got best one. The statement is you know, when they go, I've got 15 years experience. Was it a learning experience? Because you're doing that wrong. Yeah. You know, and that's something I, I, I got from the field was not just the medicine, right? And the experience of this call, that call. And, and again, it also has to do with types of experiences that yeah, you had to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that I got pushed into doing things and, and stop being afraid and get out there and try it and this and that and the other. Um, but the other experience is, is you talk about the, the holding things in. And I got to watch different relationships unfold throughout those two years in EMS. Uh, because I got married in 2001, and then I got my numbers in, Feb- in January 2001, and I got my numbers in February 2001. Now, I'd finished in October, November-ish uh, of – actually, I think I finished towards September of 2000 and tested, failed the test the first time. And then, you know, you had to wait the six weeks or more to get your little envelope or big envelope at the time. And then I took it again in October, November, and then holiday. So it was February before I got that letter the nice big letter with the, the patches and the, the, the numbers in it um, from National Registry. And, and, uh, but up until that, I'd worked for two years, and I got to see what made relationships work in EMS. I got to see there, there was a lot of people who, who, you know what, I'm just going to call it what it is. They were whores. They, they slept around. They, they, they were single, and they were talking about how they party. And, this, and I realized that's not the life I want for any reason. You know, and it was a coping mechanism. Some turned to alcohol, some turned to, to other things, but these people would party. I got to see some relationships blow up and fall apart. I got to see some relationships get built and be strong. And that was something that, that helped me in the experience to be a medic of when I, my first, my first real call as a medic was a standard cardiac arrest. And I was with this asshat of an EMT who had worked with me as an EMT, who had been a firefighter forever. And, you know, you know how that is. I don't know if you know how that is, Tom, because you mm-hmm. technically came in as a medic. You just had to go back through school to get certified stateside so you could work. Um, but, you know, you were, if you work with somebody at the same level and then you elevate yourself through education or however else, sometimes you get that pull down jealousy of, oh, I got to make fun of them. I got I to gotta keep them real. I got to knock the, their legs out from underneath them. And he went around trying to tell people I was trying to do CPR on a couch. 
And luckily for me, I, like I said, I worked with a bunch of different medics, and they stopped that. They went, that's not true. Just because he got to be a medic didn't mean you got to tear him down. We've worked many cardiac arrests with him, and there's no way he worked what you said he did, you know. Um, so that was, that was nice. But that was my first real cause to run as a medic was a standard cardiac arrest. And then I got made fun of because this guy wanted to take me down a notch. But then my first, mm-hmm. what I count as my first real call, I got moved to Conyers. And it was my first day there. Didn't know anybody other than Huey Atkins. And I'd met, I mean, I'd met a few like Christy Cole and a few other people I'd met going up there. But I didn't really know anybody. And I'm on this truck in this firehouse. Don't know the politics of the firehouse. Don't know the people there. It's a new world. I'm a fish out of water. And we get toned out to freaking Sigmund Road and 138, which is that massive intersection where a racetrack is now. For a head-on collision. And that's all we know. And we get there, and the firefighters come running up with a backboard that with the patient not secured to the backboard at all because it's a 16-year-old kid who got ejected to the windshield, and, and somebody panicked. And they started running them to the truck. And it went from there. And I, there, there's no way to prepare you for that call because I had to fight the firefighter to get him out of my truck because he kept missing the innovation. And he, he literally said, I will fight you. I, once I kicked him out of my truck, he's like, come out here. We'll fight. And I never moved from my position. I innovated the patient. So I had to work under a whole different emotional stress than the medical stress. And we flew the patient out. Then I had to write a whole big report on it. Because I didn't know how the politics of fire would be. Am I going to get fired now? Because I did what I felt was best for the patient and verbally told this fire person who had no patches on his shoulders. So I didn't know if he was a medic or not. I assumed he was because he looked like he knew what he's doing with the, uh, uh, the ET tube. But I didn't know. And I had to say, if you don't move, I'm going to throw you off this truck because you're in my seat. And uh, so I didn't know if I was getting fired. That was, hello, welcome to being a paramedic for me. There's nothing that can help train you for that, but working with the medics I had worked with, doing the time I had done, prepared me to go, I watched this medic defend their decision. I watched this medic defend their decision. I watched this medic make a bad decision, own that bad decision, explain why he made the decision, and we all worked and moved forward and learned from each other. That helped me stand when I wrote that report, and very quickly, the fire department immediately came to me and said, you are right. We're sorry that happened. They made the effort. The lieutenant I was working under made the effort. My bosses, again, said they'd handle it. It, was, it worked out, but that was my first call. That was, holy cow, right? And, and how, do you, how do you, you come out of school not having any experience? Yeah, you wrote some rotations where good FTOs might push you, right? They'll push you, Tom, get off that bitch. Get over and innovate this patient. But some FTOs be like, not nah, kid, let me handle it. You just watch me. Right. That's how you learn. We, how do you get prepared for that call? Forget the firefighter aspect of it. A kid gets ejected through the windshield, and that's your first call as a medic. Roy Perry says his first call was a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, you just have to trust in your training. That's why it's so important why I don't like well, My issue with the zero to hero is because if that's your first call and you have no experience, then what do you have to fall back on? If you've got two year, at least a year or two years experience dealing with calls as an EMT, it's not going to be as overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I dare say if I was, uh, uh, if I'd gone through the, the hero to zero program and had no experience, I would let that firefighter ruin that call all day long. Cause he was no. not getting that too 
He tried twice before because I threw him off the truck. Could you imagine track. being 20 years old, paramedic, getting on scene of a fire department, and there's fire lieutenants and captains there that are in their 40s, but they're EMTs. That was similar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where you're, you outrank them you, by education. You outrank them by education, yeah. but you cannot pull that card because you will not win. You may think you will, but you won't win. Right. And and that that's the other thing that I knew from experience is that you it doesn't matter what patches on your shoulder, um, you you have to earn the respect of the people you work with, even in your own company. I was the youngest everything for the longest time in that company. Uh, it was nationally EMS. I got hired when I was twenty, twenty one, somewhere in there. I think it was over twenty one because I could drive. I, yeah, I could drive. So their insurance I think was twenty one. Uh, I was a medic when I was twenty three. And I was the youngest at that time person around for right. anything. And so I now, as a medic, outrank a lot of people who have 20 years experience on me because they've just been an EMT all their lives in my own company. Do I get to go to Boston around? Well, technically, I guess I could. Am I going to get anywhere with that? No. You know? So I, I yeah. feel like, it, for me personally, if I had done that program, I feel like if I had gone out uh, either I would have just let everybody run me over or I would have had to prove something, had a chip on my shoulder and cause problems. Fortunately, I fell somewhere in the middle uh, and, and said and made that decision when that when the firefighter, and I honestly don't even remember his name anymore. But when the firefighter was standing, you're pacing and come out here, I'll fight you. I'll, I mean, seriously, seriously, I this kid is dying and I'm doing what you couldn't do. Unfortunately, I wasn't pushing that out. But I was like, I'm like, all I said was look at the name on the truck. That's my name. Because he went, what's your name? What's your badge number? So you see the name on the side of the truck? Because it's National EMS and he worked for the fire department. So that's my name. You call them. Take right. it over there. And that's because I felt like I had to do what was best for the patient. Again, not should, knowing. Yeah. I mean, I did. I, after we dropped off, after we gave the patient to the flight crew, I thought, all right, I'm going to go back and have a huge meeting with the bosses. And it's going to be pack up your stuff and go home. Because nope. I went and pissed in everybody's happen. Wheaties. And no, it didn't. But that's mm-hmm. what I was prepared for. Well, Charles made a good good point, and I don't know what happened to it. This watch party thing is a little difficult, but he had a good statement up, and then it just disappeared. But um, and I had to refresh my screen. But basically, the gist was is that for you know seasoned medics and seasoned EMTs, I got you. They can smell out somebody that has no experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, almost immediately. I mean, that happens really quick. Uh, I found I, I found it on mine. It says uh, you learn so much on the street. A zero to hero medic. I've worked with, lacked the experience, and is obviously uh, t- uh, it is obvious to an experienced medic. Obvious, yeah, yep. yeah, um, yeah, man. It, it's, and Heather, you, I think you can probably. Oh, I can bring up one. the Heather one. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And I, I don't know if you're doing it like I am, but I have two windows open: one for the watch party and yeah, one got, for the uh, yeah, basically, mm-hmm. and stuff. But Heather says I completely agree with. I agree we should not be pushing our allowance zero to hero. Our brains don't even completely mature um, until 25, but yet we're pushing 20-year-olds to go from little life experience to responsibility as a medic. This is a broad statement. I do understand some of us having had significant life experiences by the age of 20, 
and may do just fine. Yeah, there's always right. going to be there. There's always going to be a subset of people who would do just fine. I mean, look. I mean, if you really think about it, remember Doogie Howser? I mean, what he's a teenager doctor, and there's some doctors sure. out there. There are some teenagers out there that have gone to medical school and graduated before they're 20 years old that are extremely intelligent. You yeah, know? yeah. But that's not the norm, you know, and. It needs it. It can't. And well, I'm okay with the case by case example. Like mine, whenever I went through, when I came to the civilian world, if they went by just paper policy, I would have not been able to go from intermediate to paramedic because I finished intermediate, and I went straight to paramedic. Now there was a a little bit. There was a summer gap because I finished in the in the spring. I was, uh, there was the summer, and then I started in the fall. And over the summer, I was an intermediate EMT. I had a job as an intermediate, but um, you know, I was allowed to do that because I had yeah, that experience you, only, as a medic. Only because. And I had been a medic in the Army for, you know, several years, so they counted that time for me. Yeah. Which was, you know, I was appreciative of. Well, but, uh, what were you saying? Somebody's asking you the other day about flight medic. And oh, yours, yeah. what what were the basic requirements for flight medic? Yeah, to be a flight medic. I mean, you got to have three to five years' experience in a high-volume 911 system as a paramedic. Yeah. So it's either, uh, or there was like uh, some, some classes and certifications you can get. But basically, oh, yeah. you got to have that ACLS. You got to have ACLS. You got to have PALS, BLS, PHTLS, EPC, PPC, critical care courses. And yeah. they want you to be instructors in everything as well. Uh, and they want you to have experience doing that. Because it, it matters out there. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Uh, uh, Joy Taylor says uh, a lot of firefighters are just first responders, but they think they can overstep EMS, and some doing uh, do not even know how to put the truck in pump. And that's a little bit different, but, but again, experience will teach you how to handle that politely. There's been many a time where I've had a, a volunteer who's just eager – but I earn their respect by saying please and thank you and can you and guiding them like, hey, yeah. I understand you want to jump. Can you do CPR for me, uh, or can you? Uh, uh, I try to take the crappy jobs because too many medics, right? Especially, honestly, right. this is again I'm speaking out personal experience, but especially the fresh out of school uh, zero to hero medic going get my stretcher. And maybe they don't say please, but they make firefighters yeah. and stretcher fresh. No, I'm going to run this call. Uh, we got another set of complaints from a department. Uh, that I was reading through again. And and to the person sending this, please keep sending them. Uh, there's just not a whole lot I can grab onto right now to really look into. But keep on. We'll find something that's somewhere. Because right. we want we want to bring change to the industry. Right. So it's, it's we're not ignoring you. It's just not anything I can do, do a right show now. on or do right, right now. right now, but we are working on yes. it. Yes. Um, so, we are working uh, on it. But one of the complaints was... Uh, this fire crew got into a cramped situation. They were they had a monitor on the patient. They had medics uh, on scene on the fire crew, and the medic came in and was younger and newer to the service. It was like I got to get to my my patient. Like well, right now it's kind of blocked, but there's the monitor. We're getting the vital signs. We're actually starting an IV for you. Well, I've got to do a twelve lead. We'll run a twelve lead for you. And this person, this medic, raised hell in front of the patient's family and everything about I can't get to the patient. And then once they did get to the patient, move the patient to the truck, that medic stayed outside of the truck arguing with the captain on the scene. And the captain, because I read the captain's report, and the captain's like, pointed out, well, if you're so worried about patient care, why aren't you in there taking care of your patient right now? They're in the back of your truck, ready to go, you know? And there, there is that where 
I hate I hate turning firefighters into stretcher fetchers. That's not right. Now, there's plenty of, of man. Mulligan was one of them. Uh, uh, there's been plenty of great firefighters like whatever you need. Let me grab the bags for you. Let me go get this for you. What do you need? Uh, but if I could, I would let them and my EMT partner stay with the patient doing patient care because they don't get to do that very often. Volunteer firefighters or otherwise, uh, you know, a paid firefighter doesn't always get to do patient care depending on where you work. So I'd let them do some patient care because it was at the level they could handle. I would fetch the stretcher. I would put the bags away and come back. And that helps earn a whole lot of respect from other people. This one's, I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a little long, yeah, uh, but read, that one from Herbert. Can I read it? Yeah, I was uh, reading it. It's a good one. And, and Herbert, I agree with you there. I'm not totally sitting here saying, you know, the way the zero to hero is now, I think it's flawed. I think being, having the ability to go from EMT, advanced EMT, paramedic, all within 18 months to two years, and then being on the street by yourself yeah. a month after you graduate, after you did four FTO rides, is wrong. And you were correct. Yes. You were exactly right in here. You know, there's several. There are several reasons to support it because we do need to get advance our profession we need to get people out there working in the field and we don't need to make it too difficult to obtain either there needs to be a a median there but we and you hit the nail you hit it right on the head whenever it says that the employers need to have some responsibility yes. don't just throw a new paramedic with a new emt you know, I don't I don't think a new if you're zero here, you need to be probably with another paramedic for for a bit yeah. um, before you're able to get out there. And um, he's right. Yourself. This conversation is a double edged sword because we're talking about from our experience where we we learn the new techniques. You and I, we move forward. We, we want to try stuff outside the box. We, nothing is set in our ways because once you, you get set, you, you stop growing. Uh, but there are plenty of medics who this is the way we've done it. He's yeah. right. It is a double-edged sword that we need. But let's hold these – let's hold services accountable. Right. You know, I think I, when I got put into Conyers, I remember the phone call. Huey Atkins called me one day I was off shift, and I was talking to him. He was like uh, – it was not even a month after I had my numbers. And he's like, hey, I need you to move to 601, which is the busy truck in Conyers. I'm like – Okay, am I going to ride with another medic? He goes, and I forget exactly what he said, but basically he was like, no, man, you've ridden with medics for two years. We believe you've got this, and we need, we need you on this truck. Right. And it worked out. I lived up to the belief they had in me. I lived up to my potential. I did okay. You know, I never killed a patient. I never had any, any lawsuits or any negativity, really, other than the standard, you know, we didn't like his attitude complaints. That people right. get. Uh, I never had any major Nobody snafus said in that my. About you, right? <laughs> you do every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, no, it uh, never uh, goes anywhere. <laughs> but 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 to their point, I'd worked for the same company for two years. I went from needing counseling on a human level of hey, you're making dumb personal <laughs> mistakes at work. Let's work on that. To becoming somebody that all the medics I worked with apparently because I. I Everybody gave me crap, and that's where I learned. In, in my part of EMS world, that's where I learned that when they give you crap, it's because they believe you can do better. And right. if they're not giving you crap, and, and they never gave me an inch. Ronaldo Sanders, you know Ronaldo, right, Tom? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I thought that dude hated me. I hated working with Ronaldo. I made a complaint to my commander, like, do not put me back with him again. And my commander went, why? 
Because like, cause all he does is bitch at me and chew my butt, and, and he's just, he never says a nice thing about me. It's like, well, when he talks to us about you, all he does is talk about how great EMT you are and how much we should help you get through medic school. And it's like, what? And then after being a medic for a while, and we worked together in a different area, I could see it. And I could see him pushing other people like, okay, you believed in me. And your way of showing that was to push me to get out of my dumb ways, my lazy ways, to not let me get set. And that's why I got put on a big 911 truck a month out of school. I don't know how they handled the zero to hero people. Other than I know that one guy was with the commander for a month, maybe. I mean, it wasn't four shifts, but it wasn't a year. Right. You know, because let's be realistic. How often can a service afford two medics on a truck? Uh, I don't know. I know that, um, you know, we got to do something. I mean, we just can't put the public at risk. And we can't put that medic at risk either because we're, think about this, the frustration that shows up because you get there, you've gone through all the school, you've invested everything, and now you're out on the street, you work a, par- you work a cardiac arrest, it doesn't go well, you kind of, you, you have doubts about yourself because your partner who's there, they don't know either because they have no experience. You right. know, it's one thing if you're working with somebody who's got experience, they're saying, hey, dude, you did everything good. Even though it didn't work out, you did everything good. And mm-hmm. you credit that because you're like, this person has experience. It's different coming from somebody who has only been doing it for a little while, you know? So, so what does that do to that medic? It hurts their self-esteem. Yeah. As eventually, they they start blaming themselves, or they start disliking, potentially start disliking the the job, and then yeah. they go somewhere. Then they do something else. You know, that's just my take on it a little bit. I, I think that there is, like I said, not not dissing zero to heroes. If you're one of them, not saying that you're bad or anything. You got you a longer road to go you if got you went a, that you way. You got a lot of, you got a lot de- more work Destiny to do. on my side said I did clinicals with a zero to hero medic. He was 23 and doing 911 calls. He was so smart, like crazy smart, but no life experience. He had no idea that life is one size fits not, all. Is not, not one yeah. size fit all in how you deal with someone or how you live. Experience is the best teacher, but it also humbles you as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got humbled so many times. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I, I pivoted 180 degrees on my attitude on non-emergency transports, which I've told the story, but based on what happened with my grandmother, and, and it, I had a bad attitude. So Herbert's absolutely right with, with we can't just say experience is everything, which, please, I'm not, by no means am I trying to communicate that as no experience is everything, no, but experience not. has to be balanced with school. And mm-hmm. I appreciate now that it's 220 hours rotation that you have to do as a medic. It's more than that. God, I wish, I thought, is it? I thought it was around 220, but it could be higher. I wish I had that. that. I had 60. I had eight hours in the OR. That was just straight intubation. Right. I had eight hours in the NICU, which is basically truly babysitting. You know, it, it, I had eight hours in the ICU, which is just watching some cardiac rhythms and reading a book because mm-hmm. I did it at night with and the night crew. And rotations where you just sat there and watched. Well, I got to do, do. I, I didn't do any live births, but I did get to watch a C-section of twins. That was mm-hmm. cool. But I got to watch. I didn't, I didn't birth didn't any babies. Anything. No. So I, I absolutely did not get enough school educational experience to help 
balance out. So fortunately, I had a heavy life experience. I had to make up the school stuff. Well, but I think you, you, when you come out of this program, you're so top heavy in the knowledge without that humbleness or that, 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 right. that life experience to balance. We, I guess what we're saying, Tom, is you've got to find that balance. Yes. Uh, let's see. Heather says that she agrees with Herbert. Uh, speaking as a newer medic, I have, this is her. I'm reading her statement. I've come across things I've never seen before and have been, been in EMS for 10 years and a medic just over one year. I worked for a very busy service with lots of exposure, and I was a black cloud. However, as a medic, I'm seeing things that make you have a, a butthole factor of 20 with a brand-new EMT partner and lots of rookie firefighters. Yep. You know, that's that's, um, that's where I don't yeah. – That's where I don't – You know, imagine because, Heather, you had 10 years of experience. Could you imagine having zero experience? That your, most of your experience that you had was on a mannequin? Yeah. And trying to deal with that. You know, yeah. That's like Daniel Seagraves uh, posted, and I talked to him, where he had some issues um, as an EM. You know, he was an He's EMTI gotta stop eating for glue. years. Yeah. Daniel, just stop eating glue, yeah. baby. It'll help you out, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he started having some signs of PTSD after doing 911 for years. And the experience there wouldn't help. But what, and he was saying, well, maybe the zero to hero Maybe, you know, he had experience and he still had PTSD issues. But my thing coming back to him is, is could you imagine what it would have been like without the experience? Yeah. It could be yeah. 10 times worse than what you have it had it now, what you've gone through. Yeah. And that that's that's OK. So I think I, you you haven't hit it. It doesn't seem like uh, you never know what your trigger is. That's something I teach in class. Any chance I get. It's not just the life of EMS lecture that i love to do which is not on the books but there's some stuff in the books that bring this out and it's like you never know i mean there's plenty of men. i think our friend lisa pope is one of these that vomit makes her she's like i can't handle it you know i get vomit on me and i'm vomiting uh i've heard of medics who uh i think dawn actually might have told this story it's who i'm picturing in my head so if it wasn't her she's tough enough that i think this is her that's like no it's projectile vomit dripping off the ceiling down their neck they would turn their head vomit and then go back back to innovating or suctioning or whatever they had to do so they were still doing their job through their own triggers now that was a physical trigger uh, but you never know with emotions sometimes it's kids sometimes it's it's family people remind you of family sometimes it's working people you know uh, you, you don't know. And mine happened to be a random child, and it was a control factor thing. Now, what my experience did play into this was learning to talk to somebody. Daniel came and talked to you. That's what experience taught me, is that if I don't talk to somebody, I'm going to take, quote fingers, early retirement, which is I'm going to mm -hmm. bottle it up, and either I'm going to get out of the field and burn out, or I'm going to kill myself. That's, that's what I saw happen when people didn't talk. And coming out of school... You might have – see, here's the thing. You can never assume the zero-to-hero medics have an attitude problem. They might be overcompensating for feel, feeling like they're unprepared, feeling like they know nothing. And they'll overcompensate because you can't – because some schools even teach never let anybody see you waver, never let yep. people see you crack. I personally teach poker face. You know, what is it? Fake it till you make it or yeah. whatever? Now, now, I definitely teach poker face – sorry. Teach poker face uh, to the patient. Of, there are times when – I don't know what's going on, or I'm I'm in my head going. You know, in the same call, the kid that that I had to talk to somebody and get some help on. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the firefighters keeping a poker face because they're all looking at me lost, and like okay, let's try this, let's try that, and they're looking to me to be that rock. 
I had right. experience. I was well into my career before that happened. I had my experience to carry me, but then there was nobody for me, you know, until I went and talked to David Briscoe, who that, connected me to the right and people. And that's segueing us into this next comment from All Heather. Right. Read that one. Because Heather's got a good point there that, I mean, you tie right into that. Yeah, she says, hell, I'm scared now sometimes. I truly, LOL, you know, laugh. I truly worry for those with no experience and go straight to being a medic. I offer peer-to-peer support for first responders, and this topic does come up from people feeling unprepared or unsupported at and from their agencies. Because That's exactly what we're saying. Exactly. When you go through the interview process, right, I with you before right. I, I, I never met you till I got put on your shift. I rode on all three shifts and I landed on Rob Andrews for a while and landed on yours for a while. I don't remember why they went back and forth. Um, I, I, th- I think I actually landed on Charles Phillips for a while because those were the three commanders at the time right. or, or captains, whatever y'all were. Uh, but my interview process was Mike Luna. What have you done? What can you do for us? Here's what we're going to offer you. Okay. If you're going to accept that, it's like five minutes. Okay. Now you got to go talk to HR in the hospital, take yep. these typing tests. I'm like, we didn't have computers on the truck then. It was all pinned around like typing tests. But you, you know, so it's this intimidating jump through the hoops. I've been a medic for years at that point, been a captain twice at that point. And, and then I get put on the truck. So there's this unwritten expectation of go in and prove yourself, just go in and do your job, right? I don't believe any good service, and I cannot tell you for a fact any service ever communicated that to me overtly. Or otherwise. Right. But I had that expectation of being at National. Like I said, when I went to National first, I was young, wet behind the ears. I'd already had a really bad experience at Athens Regional and how they treated me. And so, and how maybe I deserved it. You know, I did some really dumb things. I don't know. Uh, but with Heather talking about this comes up about feeling unprepared or unsupported. Well, that's how you feel. That might not be the truth. May not be the truth. It took me, it took me holding in the trigger, all the PTSD from that call and getting to a massive fight with my wife to literally ended up under the table having a panic attack for me to finally reach out but to you, somebody. But you had that experience. Could you imagine what it's like for somebody with nothing no, yeah, no, to fall back on? With no immunization to that trauma or yeah. that stress or knowing who to talk to or what to turn with, or even know what feels normal because... How does it, I mean, how are you supposed to feel when somebody dies in front of you? Yeah, I'm actually, I, I've also, I've often felt a little psychopathic, you know, like I look at people around me and they have family members die and they're torn up for, for years. Um, honestly, my uncle died. I think I grieved for a few days. Right. Uh, my grandfather died because he was older and I was expecting it. My grandfather died. I think I grieved for a day and then I moved on. Is that normal? I don't know. I watched my wife, who lost her mother two years ago, and it still tears her up. You know, right. and we've had that conversation of, I wish I could understand, but I literally can't. Are we a little bit psychopathic? Sometimes, not psychopathic. Um, the one that you don't feel. Soci- sociopath is that it? The one you don't feel empathy with other people? When it's full blown, uh, I don't remember. But somebody out there, you understand? It's I called think. Emin- you yeah. know, there's a thing. Whenever you're trying to teach, you know. There's a term out there called compassion fatigue. And to combat compassion fatigue or basically PTSD, you need to immunize yourself to those situations. And the way you immunize yourself to those situations is that you get experience with them. You're introduced to them. Yes. 
you know you see that's why like you know kids that see horrible pictures on a regular basis it doesn't bother them to see you know stuff like if you're a kid and you're a, you know you grow up in a hunting family and your dad takes you out when you're five six years old and you go kill a deer and you gut the deer and you slaughter it and you you know field dress it and stuff the first time it's a little disturbing i'm sure yeah but then you do it again you do it again you do it again it doesn't bother you anymore that's the same thing with yeah. us in ems you go out and you run your first you run your first major wreck you know yeah. where there's death there's blood everywhere little you know First, a little disturbing, but then you do it again, yeah. and you do it again. But you need to have a support team there to help back you up. So somebody can put their hand on your shoulder. You're doing fine. Get in there and get that innovation. Yeah. You can do this. And if you can't, they step in and yeah. do it. That's the And experience. that's the teacher I was in the back of the truck always, even with my EMTs. I was, I was that person of, you've got this. I've got your back. And if you can't understand that, get off my truck. You know, that, that was extreme, but it was, no, I've got your back. But the, the Ronaldo's of the world is going to lead into this from destiny. Uh, that tough love of get out there. Uh, what Charles Phillips was saying about the Vietnam medics being hard on him and this and that. And that. Uh, the best way I responded was when Roy was hard on me and Chuck was hard on me. Ronaldo was hard on me. You know, it, it made me hard. And Destiny says tough love is still love. But you have to have some solid ground to stand on. And I, before I finish that statement, I'm going to jump over to Joy on Facebook. Well, I won't read the whole thing because I never want to call her out. But, but she's being honest. She's in a place where she can't talk to anybody. And that's scary. And that is scary. Going back to Destiny's rest of her statements, you can't run into hell without knowing how hot it is. And that is what I got in my experience was medics going, no, we got you. You can tolerate the heat. Right. You know, you can get down. No, I never had to, but I watched Roy Perry lay on the side of uh, a hot road. I don't remember which it was, but a hot road in the middle of summer, intubating a patient, and he starts shaking his butt like he's doing a dance. I'm like, what is he doing? And he gets the intubation, waits till it's verified that he's dripping on the side of the road because he had laid in a bed of fire ants on the side of a hot road that was uh, 100 degrees on the asphalt, but he did his job and he saved a life. Uh, and then we got it. You know, we all went, no, man, go take care of your burns and the fire ants. We got the rest of this call. And I learned that as an EMT going, people have to have you. And after that call that I led off with, with the kid and the fire department, it meant the world to me that the lieutenant at that fire department who didn't know me from Adam came to me and says, you could, I mean, it spread like wildfire through the fire department instantly. I don't know what the lieutenants on the, the scene were saying. I don't know anything, how it went. But I know by the time I had gone back to the office, took myself out of service. Because right. I asked, was like, no, I got to write all this. I wrote five pages of supplemental. Four of those being everything that led up to my patient care. And then, I mean, the first part was for the hospital. Here's the patient care. See supplemental for further. Or maybe I wrote a supplemental just for the office. I can't remember. But I wrote five pages. Four of that was, here's the incident. One page was, here's the rest of my care by detail. You know, don't fire me. <laughs> and by the time I'd done that, it took about an hour, hour and a half. And I went back to my station, not knowing what I was walking into. And immediately the lieutenant, not pulled me aside, came to me in front of everybody else and went, you did the right thing. We hope this doesn't make you think badly of our fire department. He is being talked to. Please don't worry about it. And then the chief, because I was at the chief station, the right. chief came and said the same thing. That gave me that ground to stand on, to know that, okay, this is a safe space to do my job. Yep. And then we talked it out. We, we did everything. It was, it was important. And so this is a little side topic but for somebody to work at a service that 
Have you ever worked at a service that you felt like there's a target on your back and you better stab somebody before they stab you? Not, not necessarily not, stab somebody, but... Not a service. I've worked at a place of employment where I felt that way. And, and that cannot be good. Right. I refuse to do that, personally. I learned very early on in my life. I, mean, I was 16, and I got into a situation where they just were going to throw me under the bus. I went, nope, I'm out. I'm out. I don't, it was just an instinct. Yep. I was like, no, I'm out. And then later in life, I learned, trust your instincts because that was the right move. Uh, because I have not worked at a service I couldn't just talk to. Because that's what I do, Tom. I talk about everything. And I know the importance of talking. And I will push my EMTs, my new EMTs, or third rider students. And now here in the school, I'll push the students, tell me about your call. Oh, we did the CPR call. Da, da, da. No, no, no. Tell me about all the calls on your shift. And let's break it down. You know, when I get a moment, I don't always have a moment, but I try to do that with the students here because, oh, this is great by Heather. Every human needs a safety net, and we have failed at providing that for first responders. And I'm going to, I don't know exactly what she intends with first responders, but I'm going to say that's, that's everybody. All of them. That's all of them. That's, that's the firefighter. Fire. Police, yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, the thin blue wall where people don't talk yep. about their problems. I've not been a cop. I've seen way too many documentaries, and my friends talk about how you just don't talk about things. That's not cool. I'm going to go on with what she's saying. I constantly read and research that other states and countries are doing uh, what they are doing and help uh, support their first responders mentally. I can thankfully say this: the topic is definitely being talked about everywhere, and that's a positive first step. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. Uh, oh, be careful, Joy. Be careful. That's all I guess to take care of yourself. Uh, I was talking to a student today. I was reviewing his practice test with him as one of my uh, flex students, which we do coaching. And every week I give him an hour of my time to coach this particular flex student to get through registry. Right. And one of the questions was, the answer was, uh, it's about trauma. And he picked, the wrong answer was, seeing time is important and do not delay it. Well, that's written a little bit weirdly to me. And what pointed, the right question was, basically travel carefully because a hurt EMT can't help anybody. I went, okay, because the other two were obvious, correct. You were looking for the wrong answer. or you were Anyway, the other two were obvious. And that was a, the third one, that EMT one was the one he was supposed to pick. And I said, because what's rule number one? We have to take care of ourselves because if we don't, we can't take care of anybody else. I would say, dare, I would dare say rule number two is we've got to take care of each other. Because if I don't help you, you can't help anybody else. And that's important. And, and bringing it back to that zero to hero program, you don't even know how to do that. I'm going to give you the biggest benefit of the doubt. You're super smart. You're a go-getter. You found a program that took you to where you wanted to be, and you didn't know any better. Right. You didn't know you should get experience. You just went through it, got it done. But how are you as a medic going to take care of other medics? Because or you don't know to look for the signs. How are you going to take care of your EMT? Or police officers, yep. The benefit of the doubt is you have imposter syndrome is a real thing. Imposter syndrome is no matter how much experience, no matter how much proof you've done to say to yourself that I've done the right thing, I am good at my job. Imposter syndrome says you don't belong here. Now, when you come out of school, you've earned the same numbers that I've earned without the experience. doesn't matter. We are the same in the eyes of the state. Now, there are medics who will throw you to the wolves, and if you go to where Joy is, and you can't talk to anybody. If you can't talk to anybody, it means nobody's looking out and helping you. That's how I felt at Athens Regional. As I went in, and I was one guy named Shane kind of looked out for me. And it was in the sense of, hey, Betty, 
you better don't don't do that. Don't piss that person off because I'd already pissed that person off. Like you don't want to piss them off. They're gonna get you. They're gonna come after you. I'm like, what do you mean come after me? I'm new. I mean, I literally said I'm new. I did the best I could. Right. It's like doesn't matter. You pissed them off. There. But that was how he looked out after me. Let me know trouble's coming. So I didn't last very long there, you know. And as a new medic, going to that situation, I knew you sense things, and I knew I was being treated differently than other people. I didn't know why. And and as a medic, could you make mistakes and kill somebody? Well, if you have an EMT that's not looking out for you. You sure mm-hmm. can. Does that change anything? No. Does experience change it? No. Having, you know, well, I talked about the CPR with the, the guy who said I, I was, basically he said I was incompetent. Is how he told the story all laughingly. And it got shut down. And forever I'll remember him as, instead of being the good EMT that he was, from that moment forward, he did that to more and more people. And he burned out and he ended up getting out of the field and leaving the state. And one day I remember on Facebook it popped up one of those crappy things. Don't don't ask questions you don't want to answer to. Well, how do you know me? How do you remember me? And I went, "You're an asshole who treats people poorly," and he unfriended me. I was like, "But that you asked a question. That's how I remember you." Is because instead of being a supportive EMT, and who you were when I was an EMT as a medic, you tried to not just throw me under the bus when I did nothing wrong. You tried to stab me, and that's unfortunately I was working in a place that everybody paid attention and everybody went, no, that's not right. Now, um, do you have any specific stories of working with people who went through this program as a captain or anywhere else that you can say this is what you saw come out of that program? From Zero to Hero? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a guy once that went from Zero to Hero and ended up on my shift because everywhere he went, he kept messing up. Now, he was an older gentleman, so he kind of tried to play that game like, oh, I'm like 40-something years old, and yeah. you know, and I was in my 30s, and I was a, you know, a captain, and he would play that game. But I'm like, you just graduated paramedic school six months ago. Yeah. And he kept screwing up. I mean, he would get on scene of a cardiac arrest, a workable arrest, and he would stop everybody doing CPR so he could do a 12-lead EKG on somebody that was in cardiac arrest. Um, well, then, don't you see the V-fib or the systole on the monitor? 12-lead's not going to change that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's... that's, And there's a difference in teasing. Cause I, I, you were talking about 12-lead. Well, I got lazy one day because every DOA, I'm going to run a strip to put in my report. Just to say, yeah, they were dead. This guy had been dead for three days. And I'm like, give me the paddles. Yeah. I'm just going to run a strip off the paddles. And somebody came in and knew me forever and went, what are you doing, man? And then, of course, the whole – and then everybody knew I was competent. Everybody knew I was – but the joke for a good six months was, hey, I got a dead body. You want to come try to shock it? Yeah. And, and I was like, you know, that's teasing. That's that's, yeah, when, that's they, when they respect you. But That's just um, people messing with you. But, you yeah. Know, but, this, you know, this guy was just ridiculous. And then – he couldn't intubate. Every time you turn around, he was missing intubation. Yes. And I think you were probably there when this guy was there. We'll talk he later, ended up maybe. Getting on my shit. He had to ride with me, and I got to the point oh, where yeah. it was like, this isn't the profession for you. And I think he left us, and he started working non-emergent transport. Because everybody he would work with, they would put him with an EMT or, some, or with somebody else, and he would pull that, he would play that card like, yeah, I'm forty something years old. You you got 
you're a young whippersnapper. You don't know anything. I have more life experience than you. You may have that life experience, but, you know, you were a carpet salesman. Yeah. Up until six months ago. You know, you sold carpet and, you know, sold and installed carpet for most of your life. Yeah. This person over here, which I think one of them was Vanessa. Vanessa's been a freaking medic, a medic for well over 10 years. No. Yeah. So everybody that he got put with, he was nothing but problems. Yeah. uh, um, And we'll we'll hit that too. But Heather uh, says... um, uh, ten years ago, when I first started EMS, it was that way as well. About suck it up, uh, we will. It will take a village of us to make such a big change, and that's what I really want to hammer home right now. That's why we do this show when we do these kind of topics, is to we not just ask questions that everybody has to answer, right? When we call out Region Three, or we call out Dunwoody, or we call, we're asking questions that need answers. That's one side of what we do. The other side is internal. Is how do you inflict change? And I say that intentionally because I want to inflict change. And that's how I've always been is you came on my truck. We are going to talk. You give me somebody who won't talk to me. They're off my truck and I'll, I'll write bad reviews on them all day long. I've done supervised reviews. And my biggest thing is communication because you got to talk. You have to listen. Um, you know, and then Heather did say, uh, please feel reach out to me if you would ever like me to help with this mission or need any help with any way. Absolutely. Email me. The email is right here on the, on the screen, uh, charles at gaims.com. Um, because we're all, that, this is a passion project for me in that sense of we, the universal we, have to break those, those, the, those chains of silence and suck it up and set in our own ways. And, yeah. Uh, Herbert, I think it was his name earlier. If we just assume because you came out of that program, you know nothing, we're setting our ways, and that's bad on us. You know, if somebody comes out, what what should we do as medics in the field? We should say, okay, what is your experience? Here, ride with me, and then, you know, for a month. And then you go to the next medic for a month. And because uh, everybody has different ways of doing things, right? If I had come up um, as an EMT and my first job had been under you, and Rob Andrews and Jason Hale and uh, Yuri. Oh, yeah, Yuri. Oh, I would have been a fantastic EMT super fast. But through my own experiences, and again, it's learning experiences. It taught me to treat people differently, so I needed my own path. But in my learning experiences, it told me uh, uh, that I need to treat people differently. Let me have the students on my truck. And I'll push them. And the only time I ever yelled at a student was because he got tunnel vision is when we're going to a, a baby birth in a toilet. Um, and and they came to me with the baby. And the student was trying to get a patient history from a bystander of where they are. I'm like, student, get in the truck. And he didn't hear me. I was like, let's go. Because yep. I got a baby that supposed born in a toilet. And it was, a, 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 it was crap on the Apgar scale. I don't remember exactly what it was in. But it was like, this is Crash. not good. Let's go. And I left him on the seat because I know the truck was coming in right. uh, for mom. Uh, so I left him. And that's the only time I ever yelled at a student. And later, when he came to me with a little bit of an attitude about abandonment, I held my temper and said, let me tell you exactly why I did what I did. Because of the stories I told about Ronaldo, I didn't know why he was doing it. I never wanted somebody to hang like that. So I said, no, I was tough on you. And, yeah, I left you behind because I'm sorry. Anybody who's met me or listened to one of these shows for any amount of time knows I'm not quiet. You should hear me at my normal talking level. And if I yell, how do you miss that? You know, 
So that was on you for not sticking to me. Um, so that's that's a good stopping point. There is is exactly what she said. We the universal we have to keep hammering this home and services, hammering this home where we work, where we live. Roy Perry was in EMS. I don't know if he's still watching. I don't know if he's still active, but he has been in EMS since he was 16 years old in the same county. He There's pictures of him as, as a wet-behind-the-ears, crew-cut kid volunteering on the fire service. And then he worked with an EMS service that was there the second he could get his numbers. And I don't know. I honestly don't know what his path was to get paramedic, but he had been a paramedic long before I even thought about going to school for an EMT. And even when I left Morgan County, he stayed there and worked there for a long time. And I learned, one of the big things I learned from him was, yeah, you can make bad decisions, but if you work in a good place, they help you come around. All the medics came together. Uh, he got into a bad place with his health. He got into a bad place mentally for a little while. But I also learned that I thought he was doing a lot of dumb things until I talked to him. And then I learned, hey, you can get in your own head for a while and start judging people. And until you talk to them to find out why they're doing what they're doing, you don't have the whole picture. And when I talked to them, I went, oh, I'm the one doing bad things. And I'm making judgment calls. But I also learned that sometimes national was never bad. But I've seen other places. I'll just call it when I said Jasper County, it was kind of bad. And I learned if you love where you are, you can work from the inside to make it a better place. And that's what we all need to be doing is helping each other look for those clues that somebody is burning out instead yeah. of judging them, which I did to Roy. He was getting burned out. I didn't know he's going through a divorce, an ugly divorce at the time. I didn't know he's having blood pressure problems and, and healthy. I didn't know all this stuff was going on. So he was making also was he making bad judgment calls and I was judging him for it until I talked to him. And went, oh, man, how can I help? And once that happened, once we all because it, it was a company meeting. It wasn't we went to him. It got called out in front of everybody. And. And it was a big emotional meeting, and it changed everybody's perspective. But what was great about that was Huey was the one that says, no, we got to talk about this. We have to help each other. You can't be backstabbing and talking bad about each other. So he called the meeting, and we talked, We were forced to talk to each other. Um, and it changed everything. So we have to work together to, to change what we want to see change. I honestly don't remember the philosopher or the motivational speaker or who said it. But uh, before I promote everything that we do and everything that we have out there, I'm going to say this, is that the, it, it's been said, we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Right. And that's the heart of what we do here on EMS Underground is... You have to set the example. Exactly. Ta and talk about it. Yep. So we, we got challenged. We got challenged. Yep. And he that was right. the whole point of the day. Yes. Was to, to push buttons, challenge, get people talking. Yes. So that... Because we don't have to agree on everything, but we all agree that change needs to be made. Yeah. And compromise. Just how do we get there, yeah. and then we can compromise and get there. So if you want to help keep these kind of conversations going, if you want to help, we honestly, I'm going to be real, we need to get big. We threw out a post to uh, um, the Georgia EMS Association and to the Transparency Project. I tagged them both, yeah. saying, come together at our table talk it out let's or see we'll how we're the same table. yeah or we'll come we'll to you, you know, whatever I, we don't care and or we don't even have to be there just some get together we'd right. love to be there but get together but from an influence standpoint i feel like if we had ten thousand followers twenty thousand followers a million followers you know if we had those kind of download numbers or support that says no people listen to us they like what we're saying we're here to help 
then that will help bring change faster. And one of the ways you can do that, of course, follow us on Facebook, right? We're celebrating 6,000 follows, man. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you like I put, you like us. You really, really like us. Uh, but it was amazing that we had that. Thank you for helping with that. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you'd like to help support what we do so we can go do more conversations, get into more doors, because sometimes we have to pay for Open Records Acts, right? To, and that, that sometimes, unfortunately, it's a negative way, but that won't negatively open a door. But sometimes it'll help us go to more places and talk to more people. Patreon.com forward slash 911 studios is where you can support this show and other things that we're going to be doing later. The videos that we put, I'm working on one right now about what is EMS just to explain it to the public. And if I could put a thousand dollars behind that to promote it, don't you think that'd help all of our worlds? A thousand dollars in Facebook ad promotion goes a long way. And now more of the general public is understanding, Oh, this is fire when they show up. They are EMTs, advanced and paramedics, because that's part of that video that I'm putting out. Yeah, they are. Oh, this is what an ambulance does. It's not just, hey, if I call you, you get into the ER automatically. No, it's different. But if we could put money behind it, that would help. Patreon.com forward slash 911 studios. Help us out. And share the podcast. Thank you for coming out live. Being a part of this conversation is very, very, very important. And you can always email me with follow up there, Charles at G-A-I-M-S dot com. But you can share the podcast, anchor.fm forward slash Georgia Institute of EMS. Uh, da- I think it's Georgia Dash Institute Dash. It's out there. But the easier way is now on iTunes. So you, you pull out a podcatcher. Just tell everybody, look up EMS Underground or Georgia Institute of EMS. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. It's in Stitcher. It's in Spotify. We're everywhere. We're now everywhere. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. So it's yeah. an audio form, easy to share, easy to listen to. Uh, while you're on the road, on the if you're in the ambulance, or ride yep. with a partner, play it for, because these are conversation starters, and that's what we want. If we mm-hmm. pissed you off, if you're if you're one of those, is a, I, I, I'm, I feel like I should say, but I'm not zero to hero, hero to zero. If you're one of those, and we tell us why we pissed you yeah. off, tell us and have a conversation. We'll, have, we'll we'll talk. We're not gonna absolutely. Fight. We're not going to argue. We don't think any less of you either. And if you are that zero to hero and you need some help, you need some support. Let us know. We're here for you. Absolutely. And and there's Facebook groups. One last plug that we have nothing to do with. There's PTSD Facebook groups out there. Right. there there's all kind of actual support groups. Now, the humor I like the humor ones. They get a little dark sometimes, right? It gets a little caustic and nasty yeah. every once in a while. That happens. That's life. That's us. But there's some solid PTSD groups that are out there that I've been able to join. And, and why I say solid is... I applied to join it. It made me do a little application. Then after that, uh, uh, admin contacted me through Messenger and said, okay, we got a little bit. Why do you want to join? And I had to explain yep. why I want to help, what I'm doing. And, and that's a safe space because you have people protecting that space for you to come in and talk freely about what's going on and actually get help. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that out there. If you don't come to us, there's somebody out there for sure. Yep. Um, next week's going to be a little different. I'll be out. I'm not sure if Tom will be available on Thursday. We'll see what happens. But typically, any given Thursday, or we've been known to move the date just to help people out uh, who come here. If you want to come and talk about a topic, hit us up. We would love to have the conversation keep leaving? going. When I'll be off Wednesday through Wednesday, basically. So we may basically. Hit, do something on Tuesday. All right. So we might do something on Tuesday afternoon. So or we may still be there Thursday. Yeah, Charles maybe Phillips. A, maybe it'd be awesome to have you come and tell some old yeah. stories about how you came oh, through. Oh yeah, man. To have Charles on here. I give Tom about being old, grief about being older than dirt. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 
Charles Phillips knows when it was a glass jar that you had to hang flutes from. <laughs> you say so. that's funny. His his numbers are like in the uh, either double digits or triple digits. I didn't forget. I worked. I used to know his numbers, Charles, and I didn't forget your digit your numbers. But I know you're like one of the first one hundred, if not less. I met somebody. I wish I didn't remember their name. I want to say start with an H. Uh, their number was four. And, and this is before what the new it? set. There was a guy that he used to be the director at Jasper before you were down there. Okay. Terry Dishroom. I know the name. I don't know if I met Terry. He is. His numbers are in the double, like in the ten, tens. He's yeah. So it's it's it'd be cool. Uh, but anybody, EMTs, medics, firefighters, you got a topic you want to talk about, and. We're working on stuff to help with volunteer firefighters. So we yep. might be doing a secondary show that deals directly with firefighting and the volunteer aspect of it. Right. Uh, so definitely hit us up. The email is there. Thanks for coming out. You got anything else, Tom? No. Nope. Thank you all. Y'all stay safe out there. If I get this right, here we go.